Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Well, hello there, Matt. It's race weekend. It is, and I am so excited. At last, we have completely meaningless things to argue passionately about. Again, I can tell you my family is relieved. I had forgotten that feeling had gone away, that one of passion and anger when there is an argument. And then in your head, you put together a perfectly reasonable case and you either tweet it or put it in a chat group and someone goes, no, you moron. How could you possibly think that? It was clearly the other thing. And you're like, you are my mortal enemy now. But it's because of our shared love of F1. And I think my heart has just been pounding since 2 p.m. Yeah, well, it was, they certainly gave us a lot to try and fit into a single imperial hour, didn't they? Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, that is the policy. Now that we're back in the on season, Missed Apex podcast is a strict one hour, Matt. So I'm going to need you to keep me to that. Well, you know, I'm always excellent when it comes to uh, maintaining track of the time. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you your race review before your Monday morning commute. And I hope it's a good one. It's the first Missed Apex podcast back in your ears. We might be wrong, but we're first. And we're also joined on the line by our racy driver man, Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad? Oh, it's going so well. We had a race to watch and it wasn't even just a normal one. It was actually a particularly good race. So I'm very happy to be on this special show. Yeah, it's not like the drivers were like, hey, it's the first race of the season. Let's just calm it down. Let's just do all the right things. Like they were all properly going for it. It was like almost all the ingredients that we look for in an exciting race were just all chucked in. So I'm really looking forward to talking about it. And we're also joined by Nick 
Numbers Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Hi, hello. I actually wish that they would have eased into it a little bit more. Might have been a little bit better for the old uh, ticker. Now, you're the opposite to a lot of us where we've been podcasting about F1 for the last 100 weeks with no races. You more or less went into an F1 stasis chamber. So the last thing you knew, like Lewis Hamilton had picked up his world championship. Ferrari were look, still looking fairly quick. And then you've just opened up into the new F1 bubble, like Jennifer Lawrence in Passenger going, oh, what's, what's going on? Who's this handsome man? Yeah. And I'll tell you who it was. It was Lewis Hamilton. The first thing that you would notice if you came out of hibernation, which might be a little bit strong, um, <laughs> but the Mercedes are not silver anymore. No. And they look so good. So good. Obviously, there's some great reasons behind that, which is their pledge to increase diversity at their organization. They've put their hands up and said, that is something, an area we're lacking in, and we're going to move forward to fix it. The upshot is you get a super cool livery. Brad, base black for that Mercedes. Uh, just It made it pop along with Lewis Hamilton's helmet as well. I, I wasn't quite ready for how that was going to look on track. Yeah, so two things. Normally, I don't really get too uh, involved in caring about what the cars look like in terms of livery. I don't mind that much. And the other thing is I normally hate helmets which match the car. I think it makes the driver uh -huh. blend in too much, a little bit like the the, the um, racing point helmets are where they're pink and the car's pink. But that Mercedes and Hamilton combination looks super cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly did. And there was some implication on the Formula One website that they were going to suffer with cooling issues because it was black. So I would love somebody who is a an expert in how heat absorbs and radiates to say whether that will actually be an issue going forward with the hot weather. Uh, but Ferrari, Nick, let's go back to you. Ferrari, now you are our token Ferrari fan. I know you tried to escape. I know you tried to Forexit, but I think we're going to, we're pausing that for now. You're still our representative uh, Tifosi uh, and Sebastian Vettel fan. We had some answers from from the, the the practice one and practice two where we wondered if all the news coming out Ferrari that they had problems with their aero package and they felt slow, whether that was going to materialize on track. And that has unfortunately been confirmed. I'm, I'm trying to say this as not gleefully as possible, but it is a blow, I think, to Ferrari fans who are hoping to kick off well this season. Yeah, I mean... Well, we haven't gotten to the result of the race, which actually was better than anyone could ever imagine. But um, I, I think I, it I, just goes to show what a crazy year 2020 is. I feel like this whole race weekend has been like a, a microcosm. I mean, it feels like uh, so Leclerc, you know, on the second step on the podium when, you know, just yesterday he, you know, barely made it out of, of Q2. And, you know, yeah. however, when we had our last race, you know, they were clearly the second best team and now they're probably the fifth best team. And I mean, Brazil, you know, was in Abu Dhabi and all that stuff. It wasn't really that long ago. And it seems like just absolutely <laughs> ancient history now. No. And the, the chat room are picking us up on that. We didn't not notice that Leclerc finished second, but we're going through the weekend in kind of the order we experienced it. And it was somewhat jarring to see them so far back in practice. And I think Matt, everyone had that sort of feeling of, oh, well, perhaps they're sandbagging, you know, perhaps this is some change in tactic but when it got to the business end of qualifying it, it really did show up that there's there's something missing i know austria is a, a real power dependent track as well all the other ferrari power units were struggling too clearly the ferrari power unit is somehow down on power and it's it's really affecting them well as many people may know 
Not that we talk about it much on the show. But there was that whole settlement with the FIA thing. What are you on about? And, and it was clear uh, from, I guess, well, looking backwards, you could go back to what was it, Mexico? And see that they yeah. were beginning to struggle with pace where before they definitively had an advantage. Uh, but with regards to how far off the pace they were in Austria this past weekend, I think it was a surprise to everyone, although they did they were upfront and admitted that they'd had correlation issues uh, with their wind tunnel and that they were bringing essentially the same car they had, um, one would assume, either at testing or at Australia. And relatively speaking, every other team except for Oz was also bringing developments. And normally you would expect developments to have shaved several tenths off by time you got to this race. So Mercedes brought its full complement of developments like there'd been races. So they should have been further ahead uh, than Ferrari. But when you looked at Ferrari compared this year to last year, it was almost a full second. And I don't think that's just the engine. I think it's the engine and the arrow. And I will just go on to say, I think someone went bothered to look at apex speeds. And probably what it is, is they've piled on a ton of downforce that is very draggy. Because their speed on the straights was remarkably slow. The good news for Ferrari fans is they're talking about they may have some new parts even for next weekend. And we won't really know the full story till we get to Hungary, where they're bringing their Mark II concept car, yeah. which might even be worse or possibly better. So I would just urge Ferrari fans, you know, not to get their heads down. There was a lot of very glum Ferrari fans on Saturday. But, you know, the season is long. And I said, I, I tweeted from the Missed Apex account, guys... You know, hang in there. The next bit of glory or joy could be just around the corner. And I I think it did, you know, turn out to be that way. Uh, Sunday was probably a better day than most Ferrari fans could have expected. I'm not buying the the thing, the, the line they're putting out about, oh, it's we're just running more downforce. It's just a draggy car. It's just the aero package. I'm not quite buying that. I think it is the Occam's razor suggests to us that the uh, the, the quacking duck uh, is in fact a result of the FIA agreement uh, or settlement um, they had with how Ferrari were going about that extra performance. Another thing we learned, Brad, um, I would say you're our most Norrissey fan. I'm going to point at you as our most Norrissey fan. Uh, and me as the most Perezzi fan, I think we learned that both Racing Point and McLaren, after all the noise from testing, they are legitimately up in the fight, bothering, not quite the very top, but I mean, it's legitimate. They've got pace. Yeah, this was, for me, this was the story of the whole weekend, was that the teams that showed real promise during testing, which was a long time ago now, I was out in Sweden working, watching the testing on my phone, kind of getting through each day by by looking at the times and reading the reports. And, And it was real. They really are, if not super fast. They're certainly forming their own little second group there, which is going to be extremely competitive through the year. And I just loved watching those guys fight it out today over the whole weekend, you know, qualifying as well. So, I mean, what we're going to see apart from just those individual cars is we're seeing this whole new crop uh, of drivers. So now we're suddenly looking forward to the next couple of Grand Prix and we go, oh man, we are going to see this new generation of Albon, uh, of um, Perez. (laughs) He's not that new, but Perez, Norris, Stroll, you know, the guy, I've always said Stroll's great, and, and now he's showing it, and also Signs, all regularly fighting up there, and I think they're going to be fighting for, uh, maybe I'm old, I still rate, I still value the top six finish, 
So for me, if like one of those guys finishes top six, I'm like, wow, a top six. It's like a, a mini podium, if that makes any sense. The thing, the thing we saw today was that they are going to be there or thereabouts for when the top teams drop the ball. And, and the top teams now are down to two, aren't they? Um, Ferrari is not even one of the best of that middle group now um, on current form. Yeah. Um, the final result notwithstanding, Ferrari did exactly what I'm talking about. They happened to be there to pick up the pieces when the guys at the front um, dropped the ball. So it's going to be an intense fight between three or four of those teams, especially once we start moving to different tracks and different circuits um, favor different types of car. Yeah, good. Let's move on to the first competitive bit of Formula One in 2020. And that, of course, was qualifying. Now, a little bit controversial uh, in that Lewis Hamilton uh, delete, had a lap deleted, his first lap, um, and then on the second lap in Q3, ended up getting caught behind Valtteri Bottas, and Valtteri Bottas went off the track. That threw up yellow flags. Lewis Hamilton did a very good time that was just off of pole, and then uh, didn't get penalised. In that moment, in that evening, the FIA came out, called him to the stewards' office, Matt, and said, no, we we accept your argument that you were looking at conflicting signals. We're not going to give you a penalty. Now, for me, there was clearly was a yellow flag, uh, which got proved later on today. But the thing that uh, not upset me, the thing that made me say, this needs to be a penalty, this needs to be clamped down on is, if you see a car in front of you in a cloud of smoke off track and you stay absolutely pinned, you know, you actively know that you are picking lap time and the chance for pole position over what is bound to be a yellow flag situation. And I think we saw it in the press conference. Well, we, we saw it from a sort of muffled, through a muffled face mask in the press conference. We'll go to Brad, actually, with a driver psychology. He was sheepish. I think if he didn't think he'd done anything wrong, he would be talking about how Bottas had sort of ruined his lap and go, oh, that's a shame that lap got ruined for me. Instead, he was talking about, oh, well, fortunately, Bottas still got back on track and got his pole and it didn't affect him. I think he knew and you could tell that he knew he had done something wrong. Yeah, it's a little bit of a strange one for me, this, because it's a bit like if you're out on the road and you choose to drive above the speed limit and you, you, know, you speed, but there aren't necessarily any speed cameras around to catch you. That's one thing you might think I'm going to get away with this. But doing what Hamilton did, or any anytime someone kind of keeps it pinned during an incident, a yellow flag in a session in Formula One, it's like deliberately speeding past a speed camera. You know there are people watching. Yeah. There are cameras everywhere. Yeah. You're going to get caught. So yes, you might improve your time, but you're almost certainly not going to be allowed to keep it. And I was a bit surprised at the time that more wasn't made of it yesterday in qualifying. You know, I thought it would just be immediately, he's either going to back off or that lap would just be immediately deleted. So I guess uh, another question for Brad in the, on the same vein is, I mean, if you saw the onboard from Hamilton and you, you're looking at it from his point of view, should he have safely assumed that a yellow flag would definitely be coming in that situation? I can understand why he wanted to keep going full speed because he wasn't yet on pole. But yes, to answer your question, the first thing that jumped out for me watching his onboard was there's clearly a cloud of dust. A car is off in front. I know he's a long way from the track, but that's almost certainly a yellow flag. So that, that's my opinion. Uh, so the onboard is kind of interesting because we didn't have that yesterday. And as it turns out, neither the, did the stewards. But what we did have yesterday 
was audio, uh, uh, was his onboard audio, where at the end of the lap, he goes, uh, geez, was there a yellow there? There was a big, huge cloud of dust. I couldn't see anything. And Bono replies, hmm, there was a yellow, not sure when it was thrown. Uh, and okay. so there's two ways one can interpret that. Genuinely, he did not know and was asking because he was afraid yes. that he committed a transgression or he knew exactly what was going on <laughs> and was hoping to lay the grounds to get away with yeah. um, I, I supp- I suppose getting closer. I suppose either are possible. I, I'm happy to take him at his word if he says he didn't see a yellow, so he kept going. My disappointment in that would be there's very clearly an accident ahead of you. He Bottas was clearly in view. And Hamilton has spoken out very harshly about other drivers, i.e. Um, Verstappen in Mexico, saying that, you know, these rules, these ways of doing things are there for a reason. So for that token, I was surprised and disappointed that there was no penalty. Red Bull appealed. They had new camera evidence and a penalty was given a three place grid drop. Uh, yeah, because they uh, unloaded the 360 degree camera in the nose of the car and uploaded it overnight. And then once it was available, Red Bull took the new evidence to the stewards who said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, hard to argue with that. That said, I do want to ask, Brad, because I've seen it put forward as a defense of Hamilton's position. Would you have been able to tell by the amount of dust in the air that it was clearly somebody off in the gravel trap versus someone who had maybe gotten two wheels in the gravel trap and chucked up a bunch of a storm? I'll add to that question, oh, I... Brad, because I've just I watched the junior series every now and then. And, and it occurs to me that they will happily keep it pinned through a cloud of dust blind. Um, is there is that is that just because, you know, they're kids or is that something ubiquitous throughout racing? I think there's a little of both there. So just to answer Matt's question, I think you can see quite clearly, it's very good visibility at this part of the track. In fact, this whole track, it's quite a clear vista out in front of you. And I think Hamilton would, be, would have been aware of, you know, roughly who was in front of him on the road. And you can see that car moving through the gravel where the dust is coming from. It's not like there was a giant cloud of dust across the, the racing surface. It was, you know, it was off kind of half in the distance in the gravel trap. So I don't think he was doing anything dangerous. And I totally accept the argument that if the yellow hasn't been thrown yet and you can kind of technically get away with it, then and there's a chance you can, then maybe that's, maybe that's a good enough reason okay. to try. So I, I actually think, Brad, you're the worst person to ask about this. As someone who races competitively, you are ruthless. Like you are like um, someone who would always say they are fair and nice, but actually whenever it's come down to it, you've always taken every single fraction of the rules that you can possibly take and go beyond if, beyond if you didn't think you were going to be caught. And that's not an insult to you. That's just racing drivers being racing drivers. The thing I didn't like further on is that he must have seen to the left Bottas cutting grass and and making his way to a 90-degree trajectory to rejoin the track. Bottas also didn't just pull over and stop. So that whole thing was a bit of a mess. Can I just pose a slightly alternate view of this situation um, from Hamilton's... What might have been in Hamilton's mindset, I don't know. It certainly is something that I thought of whilst it was happening, which is that as the driver who isn't yet fastest in qualifying, um, trying to improve on your lap time with your teammate who is already fastest, just in front of you up the road, if I see him going off, one thing that will cross my mind is... Okay, mate, that's the game, is it? You're, uh, you're just going to allow yourself to run wide so I can't improve. I'm going to keep it pinned. Um, and Bottas is 
actions of having a kind of clumsy spin on the grass and taking his time to get back on the track. And <laughs> it didn't suggest to me like he was totally trying not to um, cause a yellow flag, put it that way. Nick. And I think I know the answer to this question, but it has been a while. But uh, why didn't Hamilton just get out on track first then? If he, you know, so he doesn't have to run the risk of this happening. Matt. Because uh, the running order is alternated, you get your pick. And probably that would be, um, he might have actually chosen to go second for the reason of the slipstream. Yeah. Actually, would be my guess. And so it was probably Hamilton's call to do that. That said, are you saying, Brad, that Botas pulled a Rosberg? I'm saying that one of the risks you run by <laughs> yeah. going for that potentially advantageous slipstream position of running second behind your teammate, if, if that is what he was doing, is that if you haven't nailed the first run and your teammate has just done a better job than you on the first run, then you run the risk of your teammate or any of the, what could, didn't just need to be Bottas, a Renault in front, Ricardo might have gone off. Yeah. And then you run the risk of losing your second lap. And, and that's what happened. So keep an eye out for this, kids. Uh, something that I was tracking all of last season here on Missed Apex Podcast, I know you won't remember it, it feels like so long ago, was Hamilton's first Q3 run. So often, Hamilton overdrives that first run in Q3, is is not on pole, and then leaves himself vulnerable. And I think if Bottas drives 97% and just makes sure he keeps posting solid times where he stays on the track, he's got a chance of, it's like the tennis double fault, Lewis Hamilton is going for an ace, even on his first serve, and then when it comes to the second serve, he's not lobbing it in for safety either. He is really going flat out, all out. So watch out for that over the season. Because honestly, Nick, that's what we've seen is Lewis Hamilton does not do banker laps. Well, I just resent your analogy. I mean, if I try to bring in a baseball analogy in here, you're going to get all <laughs> sorts of mad. Like nobody understands. And then you bring in tennis. I'm okay. just kidding. I, I, I understand your point entirely. But the thing with tennis is you're safe. Because like no one watches tennis. So I could just say, yeah, on the third glib glob, he loves the flammer gym. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's they'll just nod along to seem intelligent. On to the race. Yeah, all right. I'm already getting picked up. I'm already getting. Yeah, it was a mistake to use a tennis analogy with such an invo- informed chat room. Hello, chat room. You can join us by going to Mr. Apex podcast's YouTube channel. Search on YouTube for us. Hello to Mira, Michael, Othnell, EJ, M, Lauren, Stuart, DJ, Mike, and Mark, Cosmos, Vermes, European, and Eric. It's a packed, jam-packed chat room, and we're glad you're here. Thank you very much to people who've dropped something in the Euro chat to Marcio uh, Goncalves. Very, very generous. You won 400 euros, he says today, on that race. And some more for my Bottas pole position prediction. And thank you as well to Chris Clark, who says he's just so darn excited that F1 is back. But Matt, you normally will, at this point, tell us where the race is won and lost, where we talk about the strategy uh, and uh, where the main battlegrounds were. And you're going to do that, except for... I want to get us to the money ball in the first part of the show. I'm pretty sure everybody listening is dying to know our opinions on the, or wanting to disagree with us on the Hamilton Albon incident. I, I think, I think that the, the battle we were all following at the beginning of the race was Hamilton's clawback from fifth to catch Bottas with the slight hint that maybe Verstappen could be a spoiler in that. I think that's the battle everyone 
was watching initially. Obviously, Verstappen peeled away very early with um, with some problems that we'll go into later. But for me, that that really framed how the the viewing audience was looking, and certainly how the race director was looking at that at that battle. We had Lewis Hamilton clearing the field, eventually getting to seventh place, some seven seconds behind. Yeah, well, the the seven seconds behind was really due to Albon. He yeah. did a very nice job of becoming a mobile chicane and protecting Verstappen's place ahead of him in the order. And this was the strategy that Mercedes would have employed had a certain driver not gotten himself a three-place grid penalty for ignoring yellow flags in his uh, qualifying three session. Since you, not- since you noted the Albon uh, spoiler, the Albon cork in the bottle, two really, really robust defenses of Hamilton. So I think we were a bit critical that he was a little bit a little bit passive maybe last season. This season, it looks like so far in 100% of races in 2020, he's been super aggressive towards world champions because he ran him out wide. In fact, Brad, we'll go to you. He ran him out wide on that first lap. Lap 1 is, you know, a little bit different different and they're allowed to go off in that area. But Albon had no problems just going fully out to the the edge of the racing line and make Hamilton go off. And I believe that happened behind as well. I think Sainz ran Vettel off too. And then I think on the next lap as well. So, you know, seeing Albon there going, nope, no, I'm doing it. Yeah, it's quite encouraging, isn't it? At least if he doesn't have the outright pace of Verstappen, which I don't expect many people do. Um, it's good to see that he's exploiting the other areas of, of being a driver, which is, you know, things like that. Being aggressive, but, you know, keeping it clean and, you know, throughout the majority of the race, not having any incidents and, and being there when it counts nearest the end. And that's especially true in a car that's as difficult to drive as this Red Bull appears to be. I mean, did you know that they were actually a skosh slower this year than last year at the same track? Ah, well, do you know what? Do we take that diversion now, Matt? Do, we, do, we, do you have that table to hand of who had gained and lost time from 2019? Um, I I don't entirely have it to mind, but I think it was 0.038 Verstappen was slower this year than last year in in qualifying, and that was from Twitter. Was it Philip Horton? I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure the chat room will correct us, but I mean the spoiler on that is basically all the Ferrari power units were were down. Uh, uh, Ferrari were really down on. 2019, but also down on 2018 as well. So a big step back taken there. And then the big gains were from uh, McLaren, Racing Point and Mercedes, I believe. Williams. And Williams as well. Williams. Williams was one of the biggest gainers. Actually, Mercedes was only about three and a half tenths. Well, I mean, that's that's remarkable. Good for good for Williams. So this this battle then, as they eased past, eventually got past Albon uh, on that third DRS, on that third or seventh DRS zone, got past, was seven seconds behind Bottas. Now, had they started first and second, I had placed all my uh, my betting chips before Hamilton got his penalty. My thinking was, Lewis Hamilton has done this to Bottas a number of times. He's got right up behind. He's harassed and harried from that kind of 0.4 to 0.7 range and made Bottas use his tyres. So we kind of know that Hamilton is better at saving that early stint tyre than Bottas is, and is generally faster on the softer tyre at the beginning of races. And we saw that gap. It stayed steady at like seven. He was gaining a tenth here, two tenths, three tenths. Then all of a sudden, there was a little cliff, 
where he started just chewing seconds out of him. Uh, and that, it looked ominous for Bottas at that point. Yeah, it was really around lap 21. He was about six and a half seconds back. By the time we got to lap 25, he was only four seconds off. And it really did look like, well, I mean, you never know. Is Bottas saying, oh, I'm going to save my tires? Is Lewis giving it everything he has? Is Lewis just faster in race pace than Bottas? Yeah, probably a little bit. Is it a combination of those? Yeah, most likely. But it it, it was getting interesting because you were also very much into Pirelli's predicted pit stop window at that point uh, for the soft tire. It was 24 to 28 was the pit stop window they had predicted for runners on the soft tires. And the thing is, the advantage Hamilton had was he had clean air that he was running into, whereas normally Botas could actually be a little bit slow and cause trouble for him by trying to overheat his car, generating dirty air, but still staying just far enough ahead that he couldn't get by with DRS. Okay, but I I have the suspicion that Hamilton could have kept going. There was no hint that his tyres were going off. And what we've seen time and time again with these two battling is Hamilton will complain about his tyres as much as anyone. Bottas will complain also. He'll get told to come in, bolt on the medium or the hard, and then Hamilton will go, ah, do you know what, I'm fine, and just do another 20 laps. And then come the end of the race, he's got a set of mediums that are 15 laps newer and fresher. And that was always going to be his plan of attack today until the safety car. Yeah, well, if things worked out as traditionally they do, Botas had first call on pit strategy. Yeah. As Lewis got into undercut range, which would have been probably around two-ish seconds, one and a half, two seconds, maybe two and a half seconds, uh, they would have given Botas the option to pit, and he probably would have taken it. And then it would have been on Hamilton to either come in the following lap and continue the battle or to try going longer. Now, one of the reasons they had this luxury was the fact that Max Verstappen's car stopped working so early in the race. He was on the medium tire between Hamilton and yeah. Bottas, and if he had stayed in there, it it could have been a very interesting, it would have been interesting, different tire strategies. You know, possibly, I like to talk about tires. It would have been an incredibly <laughs> interesting thing to see that evolve, how Mercedes dealt with that, uh, whether they covered off Verstappen with Hamilton behind, which they might have pitted him early to try and undercut Verstappen and get him ahead, that would have probably given Botas the win without without much help. Or whether Verstappen was going to be able to catch back up to Botas and put him under pressure and get him off track sooner and then try and go long and keep Lewis at bay as his yeah. tires went off. Because there would have been a four or five lap offset yeah. between the two of them if they both were managing their tires correctly. I mean, we can only talk about the, the race that wasn't the race that would have happened without the safety car so much but yeah i think it was reasonable to say lewis would probably go five six seven t uh, laps further uh, obviously would would get behind in that time as long as the thing cars were out of his pit window which i think they definitely were the cars were a long way back behind them i, I think that he, you know he'd come out on his slightly fresher mediums and start chewing him in however was not to be and they they both come out on hards uh, with the first safety car and both disappear very quickly ahead of the pack. And now here's where, where Nick as a Ferrari man comes into his, his own. Uh, you must have been very pleased with the team orders coming from, you're like, good. So there is order coming from the Ferrari, from the Mercedes pit wall. I like this. I thought my Ferrari exit was complete. No. I thought, I, have I, you what, filled in form 729, the, the official, have you reached a new agreement with Red Bull fans? No. 
I think you're still I, I officially. Believe so. I mean, you saw what an absolutely disappointing result it was for for Red Bull today. So I think if anything, it just proves my <laughs> my curse. Yeah, you are you are indeed cursed. But look, this situation we've got Lewis Hamilton uh, behind his teammate. In theory, no team orders whatsoever hanging off the back of him. Suddenly, they start bringing through these team instructions, like, "Hey, uh, actually, I know you're pushing hard, but we were thinking about maybe." turning it down a scooch scooching that engine mode down a bit yeah i mean normally i'm a pretty cynical person i'm not even cynical or just can't imagine kind of more of the the strategy that goes into saying that kind of thing but maybe because i've been gone for so long i've i've lost my edge a little bit but it seemed like all the radio messages from mercedes today were legitimate panic this yeah, yeah i don't know if if you guys got the same impression um right about the time james got on the radio i was like okay this isn't <laughs> just about protecting a one two no Matt. well you say that and uh interesting to note that lewis actually wanted to go onto the medium tire at the first safety car and they did not let him do that and then he was on the radio um as as you have pointed out asking for asking saying hey i know i've got only so many laps of super mega engine power i want to use them all now and they were like um i don't think so we're going to be turning them down and then i think this is crucial another lap or two later you hear mercedes uh, engineer radio i think to botas to use the chassis fail two one yeah two one Oh, code. Summers pointed this out. <gasps> Two, one. Oh, I like that. So it's like multi-21. They were basically saying, look, guys, we've got to bring this home. And Vermins in the chat says Mercedes wanted to ensure the one, two, the bosses were there. And that's the immediate impression I got. You know, they were, I'm not saying that any of the other issues were invented, but certainly having Stroll have that issue with the sensor gave them, and, and the fact they'd said that to their drivers, gave them a, legit, a legitimate way to go, how can we slow them down? Stay off the curbs, guys. That'll slow them down a bit. That'll make them a bit less competitive. Engine modes have got to come down. They they did everything but say, bring it home in formation, and Mercedes 1-2 is, is great fast. And that's not even against Lewis Hamilton. In their head, they're going, yeah, Lewis is probably going to get Valtteri over the course of the season. Let's not wreck this. Valtteri was on pole. Uh, he's got the same... Uh, tacticians the same tires available the same engine modes available we can't give hamilton an advantage and extra stuff because bottas has basically led lights to flag and qualified pole so they, they can't do anything to mess with that they that is the way the race shaped out for them one two lewis hamilton needs to be in a team of one to avoid those situations i'm not blaming him he did everything he could but from a mercedes paint point of view that you know get the big guns on get toto on the radio yeah, well, I mean, when you've got Ola Kalanius, head of the entire Mercedes corporate yeah. behemoth at the race, you don't want to look bad. And they didn't look great because I'm with Nick on this one. I believe that gear sensor issue was a real thing and that they were just one bad bounce away from heading home in limp mode. Nah. Uh, we, we, yeah. No, nah, I, I, don't, I don't think I, so. I think I think, think, so. I think it's like like the chances of my kids getting genuinely like you know snatched off the street are low. But I use that as a constant threat. Guys, don't stray away from the house, or you'll be snatched, and that'll be that'll be really bad for you. Brad, have you ever been given a team order you didn't like or disagreed with? Yes, not so much in terms of not attacking 
your um, your teammate who's in the same team. Certainly in terms of uh, trying to protect the car when you'd rather just push Oh, it. I bet um, that's horrible. That Are you like, I know how to drive a car, damn it. I know how to protect it. Um, I think you generally are worried about not finishing the race. So you tend to listen um, if you believe the thing. Um, but but I, on this particular situation, I think I tend to agree with Matt. I got the feeling this was, was a real issue, uh, particularly when the team mentioned that uh, they, they got on the radio to Valtteri and said, this is a bigger issue for you or your car is worse than Lewis's car, something to that effect. Um, and it was, it's been pointed out in the chat room. I think I should just say this. It was quite funny when Lewis said, he's using the curbs more than me. And actually he was, when I watched the video, it did look like Bottas was using a bit more curb than Lewis. Oh yeah, he de- he definitely was. But it was the, the timing of it was very hilarious if you're a parent at all. But he's using more curb than me. Why are you telling me that? I'm being the good one, not him. He's being the bad one. It, it, it was funny. But I think it was a real issue. And you had Stroll already out of the race um, with, with an engine sensor issue. I think, you know, when you hear the cars go over the curb, you can hear that sound that they make. I mean, it was a commercial. Do you remember the commercial where they drove over the ridges in the road and it made a song? Maybe you didn't get that in the UK. We got that here. (laughs) I just wonder, I just wonder if the curbs in Austria are creating some kind of a resonance that is genuinely interfering with that sensor's, either interfering with that sensor's ability to do its job properly or putting it outside of its tolerance for vibration and, and working correctly. And if that's the case, I'm going to be curious to see if Mercedes can source a solution to it before next week samathos in the chat neither of the mercs really stopped using curbs until james got on the radio basically acting like their dad i hear what you guys are saying but i think even if there was a real fault if there wasn't a, a, an impending doom on the cars they would have held station anyway your mercedes you've got your bosses there you've been waiting forever for this race you've got lewis hamilton chomping on the bit behind and you you've got a one too and you're 11 seconds ahead that'll do pig That'll do. Let's just let's just chill out. What Lewis Hamilton wants doesn't matter in that situation. And Lewis Hamilton did back off 1.7 seconds, and that should have been them cruising home. Then the safety car lottery, the safety car roller coaster starts coming out, and it's a little bit of a coin toss at that point. I, I felt that maybe Mercedes should have just come in and got on their softs um, and not leave themselves vulnerable because they stayed out on their hards and other drivers made different decisions. Lewis Hamilton was then left to be sucked into the clutches of Alex Albon on fresh tyres. And that gets us to our very first... Whose fault is it? ...of the season. Yay, we get to argue. (laughs) Right, a reminder for you guys who've not joined us for a while, and uh, a primer for those of you new to Mr Apex podcast... I come from a very unhealthy relationship where we never just say, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. We'll just carry on and solve the problem. We don't do that. We assign blame. And when we decide it's my fault, then we can carry on. So if our house was on fire, it's the example I always use. If our house was on fire, we would have to stop by the doorway, establish that it was my fault, and then we could save the cats, the aqua dragons, and maybe the kids. So... Here at Missed Apex Podcast, we don't do racing incidents. I'm sure they probably exist in a distant galaxy somewhere. But here, as far as we're concerned, we need to assign blame. So whilst the panellists will pick a position based on the way they feel uh, and the way they think the incident went down, 
I don't let them just resort to it was a racing incident, which generally leads them to double down uh, in the position that they initially found themselves. We turn moderates into radicals. That's right. We're like a we're like a Facebook group radicalizing people to extreme and unreasonable views. And we're sticking to that. So Albon versus Lewis Hamilton. Whose fault was it? Nick Alexander will give you the first cast of the die. And I think we need to remind everyone that, um, you know, we're not all going to agree. We want to have a debate. So I am going to go ahead and blame Albon for trying to pass too soon and not being more patience, even though that's probably just not correct. That's just what I'm going to go with. Okay, so what ended up... Let's describe that situation to start with. So Albon's basically got the run on him. Hamilton's a bit of a sitting duck. He's defending reasonably hard. Albon wants to overtake. Hamilton picks the inside line. Albon is forced around the outside. Albon gets his nose ahead uh, on the apex. There is contact, and Albon ends up spinning off. So I think, Brad, I'm going to set my stall out to you that I think the penalty was unwarranted because I don't see personally, and and I'm not even going to say it was not Hamilton's fault, but I don't see what more Hamilton could have done except take the inside line and force Albon to go the long way round. Yeah, you can you can overtake, you can take your move, but it's like a goalkeeper guarding his near post. I'm not I'm not going to let you have my near post. I'm not going to let you have the apex. You're going to go all the way around, and he stays to the inside. In my opinion there was enough room for Albon to drive all the way around the outside. So I put the blame on Albon for ruining his own race by not using the whole track. What do you think of that? Don't hate me, chat room. Don't hate me. Okay. So there are a few, there are a few elements to this, and I want to be careful to make sure I argue my point, what I think is my point, um, correctly. And I don't want to leave you any any of my goal <laughs> open so you can sneak around my outside. I'm getting booed, um, so I think you're all right, to be honest. So first off, um, I personally don't think it was particularly sensible from either of those drivers to make the decisions they made. So I'm going to try and explain this fully, and I'm going to try not to hog the mic. But I think Albon yeah, good. Good. Had, had more than enough performance advantage to wait for a very clear opportunity. And by that, I mean, it's quite easy to get a run out of turn three out of the tight hairpin that's good enough that you're well clear by the time you get to turn four and there is no risk of having to go around the outside of of any other feisty drivers. So I believe he had long enough left in the race that he could have chosen you know, a different lap, a different moment to make his move. So that's the first thing. Um, but he's in, he was also perfectly entitled to make that move. From Hamilton's point of view, I think it was probably unwise for him to fight a car which was clearly a lot faster and at some point was going to come through because of that tyre advantage. And if I had been Hamilton in that position, what I like to think I would have done is actually easily allow Albon through, not fight him, and then hope that he catches up with Bottas, which I'm sure he would have done, and then use that as an opportunity to spring past both of them, or maybe they clash, and right. either still come second or maybe take the win. So I that's, think that's I, my overview to begin with. Sure. I th- I'll just, I'll disagree with you immediately. <laughs> Sorry. I, I haven't even argued my I point. Know, yet, I know, I know. But it. fundamentally on that point, I don't think Hamilton was fighting that hard. I don't think he was like trying to run him all the way to the track of a stamp and Leclerc style. I think he was just making him go the long way round. I fully agree with you. 
I'm I'm not saying he was fighting him tooth and nail. I'm saying that the fact that he fought him at all was hurting his own chances. If that was me in a real race or in an iRacing race, in that exact same position, you know, the car behind has caught me very quickly. I'm unlikely to be able to stay in front for 10 laps or however long was left purely on pace. Um, The last thing I want to do is lose any more time for me and that car to the car in the lead because I want us to both close him down. They will then fight. I will then win the race potentially or something will happen to them or I'll be able to at least have a, a chance later on. But what you know for a fact is all things being equal and unless we make contact, that guy is probably going to come past me probably pretty soon. So I wouldn't have defended at all. Anyway, so that's the, that's the first point. Yeah. But in terms of the, the incident itself, so the decisions were made. Both drivers were entitled to do the things they did in terms of defending and attacking. So that's fine. And with the pure mechanics of that incident, if I had to lay a blame and we're not calling this a racing incident, no, which, we're is, not. which is Mr. Apex's position, <laughs> I can't help but lay the blame at Hamilton's door. Okay. Because I, what I personally think happened was that he w- didn't expect Albon to get quite as good a run around the outside as he did. So Hamilton committed to a certain speed into the corner to allow a certain amount of room for Albon. And it just proved to not be enough. It was just a few inches, too little room he ended yeah. up leaving. And he strayed into Albon's lane causing... I, I, I wonder with Hamilton on older tyres that were less bitey and they were hard spec tyres anyway... The natural line, especially coming from a, a less traditional line, so he's, he's already a defensive inside line, he is naturally going to be uh, take an earlier apex in, in that position. Whereas Albon can afford, was wide, with grippier tyres, he can afford to bite, turn, and take what would be a later apex. Obviously, he was never going to get to the apex because Hamilton was there. So they're on fundamentally different trajectories uh, as they're going, as they're going into it. So you know, it might not be as black and white. I just felt that to penalise that was was harsh. Perhaps we were penalising the results and not the the actions and intentions of the drivers. The way I'd separate this from other similar incidents is that it, quite often this same kind of situation will happen where the driver on the inside then ends up trying to effectively run the the passing driver yeah. a little bit wide. Hamilton wasn't trying to do that. No, I don't think instance. he was, no. He he ran wide, he strayed slightly wide into the lane that was occupied by Albon at that time because of his earlier decision to commit to the the particular line and speed that he happened to commit to slightly earlier in, in the corner. What he didn't do was then get on the power and then understeer wide or release the steering and, and kind of deliberately no. move wide. Hamilton was doing everything he could do in that exact moment to avoid contact. However, it was his earlier decision that, you know, just to commit to that particular amount of speed that just meant that there was an inch or two too little to avoid that contact. And that's why I would have been absolutely personally fine with it being deemed as a racing incident. I was also fine with the five second penalty because the blame for me falls slightly on the side of Hamilton, just not to a giant degree. As a technical note, as a technical note, it's worth uh, pointing out that because they were side by side into the corner, uh, Hamilton's exit, uh, his entry was compromised. So he had to pick perhaps a slightly different exit angle than he would have if he'd had the entire corner to himself. But that said, when you look at a at a still picture of where the contact actually occurred, it very much looks like his car is pointed directly to where Albon already is. And so th- that for me made it a fairly easy choice to say that, yeah, I-, I think it was on Hamilton to avoid that contact at that point. Well, that's 2-2. So I guess we'll never know 
Uh, we'll never know whose fault it was. I, I tell you what, though, um, Brad, going to the, the 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 issue of whether the driver should have gone for it. So you're saying that perhaps you feel that uh, Hamilton should have just let Albon go. Doesn't seem like Lewis's style. He's he's not accustomed in his career of like he probably can't remember what it's like to be a midfield car where you go. Well, I'll let you go, and that'll give me a chance to catch up to the pack. He's generally got no pack to catch up to that his Mercedes power hasn't been able to get him to in the past. So I don't think he's set up for that mentality. With with Albon, he probably just thought, look, I've I've outraced Hamilton twice. And he did in the race. He outmaneuvered and outfought him twice. I think he probably just thought, you know, I can do it again. And I've got the tyres to do it. Uh, I am not blaming Albon at all for going for it. I think the, the impatience one doesn't quite wash with me. I'm I'm really pleased. If I was an out-and-out Albon fan, I'd be super pleased with how he approached the whole race, and I would just think he was desperately unlucky. Yeah, so I I don't think that was a silly move in the slightest. I think you run that exact same move 10 times with various different opponents, and generally maybe six out of 10 times that actually gets pulled off okay because it had such, it had such a significant tyre advantage. And I think when you factor into that, the driver he was against, Lewis Hamilton, you know, one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time, you'd expect if you can race hard with anyone, it's going to be that guy. He's always fair. Lewis doesn't deliberately hit people. And so I think Albon took a very good calculated risk in going around the outside of that particular driver. I just think on this particular occasion, Lewis just got it very slightly wrong. And that was all it, all it took to have big consequences. But from Albon's point of view, he needed to make hay. You know, Bottas was a little bit up the road. He had limited laps remaining, and he wanted to go for that win. That that soft tire advantage doesn't last forever. Yeah, and and if, yeah, that that's a good point. Like they would have been aware that that soft tire advantage was probably you know four or five laps, uh, four or five five laps at best. Uh, now we can't really uh, roll back and go towards the the presumed uh, midfield or go back beyond Mercedes without talking about the race winner. And what this means for Valtteri Bottas. Now, I know a lot of people are going to get carried away, talk about Porridge and Valtteri 7.0 or whatever iteration we're up to now. I didn't note whether or not he had a beard or or not a beard because of the COVID covering. So I don't know. Did he have one, Brad? I don't think he had a beard. Well, okay. I'm happy to be proven wrong. So beardless, that's the way to go because um, correlation always equals causation. So no beard and win, therefore always shave Bottas. But look, Bottas was maximum Bottas today and I have got massive admiration to for for how Bottasy Bottas is am I making sense or do I sound like I'm ill but uh, Bottas is consistently Bottas so like we said earlier with the qualifying he's able to go Nick you're laughing at me the most. sorry it's, uh, it's it's the Bottasity of the thing it's the really. whole but it's the Bottasity is shocking but he uh, he you know in qualifying he has that attitude of just get those laps in do what you're going to do in the race today he was on pole. He held Lewis off when he had to hold him off. And he has got, if, if Mercedes are the dominant car, he has got a chance of pulling off a 2016 by just putting these kind of results in enough. And then maybe a mechanical issue goes Hamilton's way rather than against him. And all of a sudden you can make up four race results worth of seven points of seven points between the one twos and get yourself a Rosberg 2016 title. It's, it's, I'm not exaggerating. It is game on, Nick. Right. And 
you know, as a recovering Ferrari alcoholic and um, new Red Bull fan, <laughs> I, I don't think I would even be mad if that's the season that we got this year. If we got the 2016 season all over again and got to watch that battle go back and forth, I think it could be quite exciting. Yeah, but Matt, what I think I'm trying to make clear is that I don't think it's because Bottas has suddenly become a better driver. But if we're in the circumstances where there's very little competition to Mercedes and it's a straight-out fight between Hamilton and Bottas, Bottas can can Rosberg this. That is the only situation, in fact, where Bottas could Rosberg this is if they have as dominant a package as they appear to have. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, and it's worth noting that thanks to the penalty that he picked up and finishing fourth, I believe Botas now has a 13-point lead over Hamilton in the Drivers' Championship at the moment. And it's also worth noting that uh, this has been generally not Mercedes' favorite track, but Hamilton has not done particularly well at this track, even when Mercedes has had their chances. So this is maybe not the way he would really have preferred to have started the championship and is chasing down of number seven, I think. Yeah. So look, I, I think Bottas has got a chance, but we, we can't get carried away. We just have to acknowledge that he did everything he could. Like, we are so hard on Bottas because Hamilton's his teammate. He qualified pole. He was in the lead from the lights and he was in the lead all the way throughout the race. And he picked up a great victory at the beginning of the season. But he did this last season as well. He won in Australia too. So don't get carried away. But look, lad's got a chance. I think he's quick. He's certainly a good racer. He's got the head to do it. And if he can keep putting Hamilton in difficult positions, anything's possible especially in a season that may not be 21 races. Yeah, this is it. We still we still don't know, do we? We still don't know how many races there are going to be in 2020. Matt, uh, let's roll round back to where the race was won and lost, because I think in the end, the, the person who had the best shot to win the race was, in fact, Albon. We weren't expecting that. How did he get there? 
Well, in my mind, this is a tough call. Where he got there, well, it's not a tough call. He wound up there because of the second safety car. And the second safety car was due to the failure of George Russell's Williams, which was actually running remarkably well and in what might even be considered a hunt for a single point at the end of the race if he got lucky which is far and away from where they were last year. Is it worth but recapping? Sadly, sorry, mate. I was going to say, is it worth recapping who caused the safety cars? Because uh, it was such a, such a glorious mess, wasn't it? So the first one was caused by Kevin Magnuson, who seemed to have a brake failure, correct? The yep. second one was George Russell pulling over. And then the third one was Kimi Raikkonen uh, doing, a, doing, a tri- doing a Del Boy on three wheels. Doing a Royal Robin yeah. impersonation. Reliant yeah. Robin. So, Robin Reliant, before, before I get shouted at. Reliant, Robin. yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so what happened was, after the first safety car, that occurred right when the pit stops were going to happen. And, and critically, uh, I think Albon went on to the hard tire, as most, as most runners did. In fact, everyone went on the hard tire, except for one person, Sergio Perez. Yeah. And the reason why the second car becomes so critically important is that Perez does not come in for a new set and Norris comes in for a set of mediums. Norris had been on the hards. Perez had gotten ahead of him and Albon comes in for a set of softs. And this is after the Mercedes have decided not to come in. So it was very much a choice Albon made. I'm going to give up track position. I'm going to put on softs and we're going to go for it. That's a very Red Bull decision. And as soon as, as soon as that happened, you're like, Oh, oh, this is really on because we already know that Mercedes has this sensor issue. They can't ride the curbs. Hard tires. They're supposed to. Old tires. They're on the hard tires and Red Bull's on a set of softs and the safety car collapses the gaps. So they're all going to be right there. Uh, Albon had to get round Perez and then it was Hamilton and Botas. And, and so everyone with bated breath watched. And sure enough, at the start, uh, again, Hamilton almost got Botas. Not quite. Uh, you, and crucially... Yeah. Albon got Perez before the next safety car came out, which was the Reckoning safety car. Wow. Or, or did he? <laughs> that was the... Right. Okay. Guys, you know I'm a Perez fan, but this is the cheekiest bit of driving I think I've ever seen, which is that, you know, uh, Albon gets past Perez, makes that move go, and then the the safety car, double waved yellows come out, and Perez is like, oh, I, I didn't see it. And then, oh, everybody's slowing down, but I'm ahead of Albon. I'll just stay here and see if anyone notices like that was like there's no way he thought that he had overtaken Albon there so that was that was pretty funny uh right so where are we now then so Albon is now passed uh he's on his soft tires and he's free to then attack Hamilton and and we know the rest uh, we do know the rest but <clears throat> what is worth pointing out as i know you're all observed with the Hamilton Otas battle who's going to win the world championship but there's the story the story of a young lad at McLaren who strapped on some medium tires and got round Sergio Perez and in the final lap of the race set the fastest lap of the race and thanks to the penalty that Hamilton collected by two whole tenths of a second wound up with the podium that making two podiums for McLaren in the last three races going back to Brazil. Oh, yeah. Where it was also Hamilton hitting Albon and getting a penalty <laughs> that put signs on the podium. Yeah. And in that was that was just 
that second safety card just set all of that beautiful madness up and it and yeah, I know we can't program safety cars in, but when things like that happen, <laughs> it's very exciting to watch. But Brad, how long can McLaren rely on Hamilton wiping out Albon to get podiums? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, probably not too often. However, the end to that race with Norris chasing down that five second gap absolutely made the whole thing for me. I was already having a great time. And then I knew, obviously, the, the, that was the five second gap Norris needed to get within. I was just had my beady eyes on that gap the whole time. Maths. And then when science started to fight him, I thought, no, nah, it's gone. No, no way. You know, he's going to have dropped too far back. And then the gap just kept coming down. And over that final lap, the, the F1 directors did a brilliant job of showing us what the gap was as we went. And then it kind of disappeared just before the end, gave yeah. a bit of suspense. And then boom, <laughs> across the line, we saw what the, um, what the actual gap was. It was, it was awesome. I was certainly cheering. I think that last lap was like a 107.4. I mean, it was just like stupendous, stupendous. They actually had him on afterwards and, and, and showed him his lap. And it, it was just, it, it was so sweet to see him having that kind of success because he really seems like a genuinely good human being. Well, I don't know about human being. Like, as we can tell with, you know, Ricardo, he seemed nice at first. More and more, he seems like he's probably secretly evil. Uh, but yeah, Nick, I mean, right now, uh, we see Lando Norris and we say he's a, he's a, he seems like a nice kid. I'm being patronizing. He's like, what, 20? He seems like a nice kid. Uh, and also, he's very generous of himself as well. So when he's interviewed, it's never like precious. It's always like, here's me. Yes, talk to me. He gives of himself. Yeah, I can't say I understand all the social media stuff and I don't know how to use Twitch or TikTok. <laughs> I'm, I'm over 30. So, but, uh, no, it's just so great. I mean, this, this whole race was, just kind of like a very uniquely F1 experience as a fan. I mean, I, it's hard to think of another sport where we can all sit around and be happy for different people on so many different teams. Like, I just, I think it's yeah. nice how, how we can be happy for somebody as opposed to like, you know, being bitter rivals about everything all the time. And I love, uh, like Brad was saying with, with watching the five second gap to, uh, to, for him to reach the podium, what other sports do you get to do math while you watch TV? So it's really the best. I mean, that's really a niche kink from Nick there, Matt. It is, but I have to admit that if you, if you find yourself ever watching the sector times in a situation like that, it's just oddly riveting. You wouldn't think numbers could be that exciting. And yet, you just you can barely breathe when you see that that delta starting to come down. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Leclerc at this point too, also yeah, being set that. up by that safety car because like Ferrari finishing second seems like sort of the thing that should happen. It shouldn't have happened, not in this race, not with that car. But man, on light fuel with fresh tires, the Ferrari look to have a little a, a little hint of life left in it, at least in the hands of Leclerc. Look, look. Not Vettel. Look, look. F1. I'll tell you what. What we'll do is we'll go to Vettel immediately next and we'll talk to Brad about Vettel. But when it comes to Leclerc, you said it, it shouldn't have happened. But I, I think F1 is a compassionate god, a compassionate overlord, and looks down at Leclerc's situation. He's got a great story coming into F1. He's showed grit and determination. He's taken every single opportunity that's come to him. He has then not only gone to one of the most historic teams, if not the most, well, it is literally the most historic team, uh, Ferrari in Formula One, 
not only has he gone there, but he's usurped the four-time world champion that was the incumbent sitting there as the number one. The fairy tale doesn't end with you then finishing 10th behind Stroll and just ahead of Ricardo. The fairy tale ends at least, at least on turning up in 2020 uh, on the podium. So I'm delighted for Leclerc. But look, he, he didn't have the car to do it today in normal circumstances. But the, the racing gods are kind and cruel in the same proportion. And they gave him 17 safety cars. And again, like his whole career, he was given the opportunity, Matt, and he took it. And that's, that's what champions are made of. Yeah, there was no dithering at the apex for Leclerc when he made those overtakes. He was just like, bang, there it is. I'm taking that. And again, as a Ferrari fan, you look at those overtakes and you're like, okay, maybe if I'm lucky, maybe there's a hint of a competitive car down the road yeah. hiding in that chassis. I don't think we'll Ferrari, see. I don't think Ferrari fans, point you, Nick. I don't think, Nick, don't lose hope. All right. Don't lose hope because Hungary is not going to be like this. This was, this is a power dependent track where they got hobbled by, and got busted on their engine, allegedly, uh, for the lawyers. So, you know, Hungary might not be like that. Silverstone might not be like that. When it gets to a more complete aero package, I think there is glory to be had, if not ultimate glory, there's glory to be had throughout the season for Ferrari. That's such a weird thing for you to say. Well, don't worry, Ferrari fan who isn't I, a Ferrari fan. This this was a power-dependent circuit, and we all know that Ferrari doesn't focus on the engine. So when you get to a twisty circuit like the Hungaro ring, it'll all be okay. Did I come Just across as patronizing? I did. I, that wasn't my intent. That wasn't my intent. I'm trying to be compassionate because I, as a Colchester United fan, look, I understand when stuff doesn't go your way and you get put into the conference and then they change the rules on seating capacity and safety standards in the ground and stupid layer road isn't up to code and you have to stay in the conference even though you won the division. Ooh, all that 90s angst leaking out of me there. Let it all out. I, that's not, I wasn't trying to say that you're being patronizing. I was oh. just saying what an unusual situation Ferrari find themselves in. No, absolutely. But it was, a, it was a fairy tale. And I think that second place was deserved. I was really happy to see Leclerc go and get that. Vettel is another matter, Brad. I've been as sympathetic as I can be to his situation. Treated very unfairly by Ferrari, I feel. Uh, not even offered a contract, just told uh, no negotiation. We just don't want you. But you can see where Ferrari were coming from. But today, I mean, we I was hoping, Brad, that he was going to come out today because I'm not a Vettel fan, but I don't hate him. I, I understand his place in the sports history. But I was hoping he was going to come out today without the pressure of a contract and just be a different guy. Cool, calm champion. And it just wasn't that. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Spanners, I feel similarly to you about this. I don't hate Vettel. I'm not a fan. Um, but... It's it's sad to see this kind of decline, and I can't help but think it's not going to get any better before the end of this season. I wanted Tim, you know, I've heard a lot of podcasts over the off season, the extended off season, where people have been predicting that he would come back stronger this year and you know really take the fight to the cloak. But it's two different, completely two different leagues in Ferrari at the moment, and and not just on pace, on just general decision making. His his attempted pass early-ish on in the race where he spun, um, barging Fiat out of the way. I've seen some onboard footage just before we came on the show this evening um, from during the race um, today. And I don't know what lap it was from, but it was just 
a Vettel lap during the race. And it was mistake after mistake. Every corner ran wide at the first corner, missed the apex at turn three, um, had a wobble in turn four, missed the apex again, just just all over the place. And he looked like a rookie on his first outlap in an F1 car. So um, yeah, wow. it's a little bit disappointing to see. And I really hope it gets better for him. Don't hold back now, guys. I mean, geez. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am a Vettel fan and um, I'm not going to try to, counter those arguments i would just say if the ferrari car is in the condition that it is at this time it doesn't make sense to pay somebody 40 million euros a year to drive it whether they are driving it at their peak performance or not it almost seems irrelevant at this point yeah well i wanted to ask brad uh, regarding that uh, very clumsy spin contact with the signs uh, when they replayed it it looked like to me he locked up before he even got to the apex, like, I mean, well before, like in the braking zone, and that he was just trying to avoid plowing straight through signs. Now, I, Those and I only, oh, sorry, I thought you'd finished. <laughs> uh, you know me, I go on for ages. The bumper stands, you paused for too long. Carry your point, sorry. Nah, uh, I, it clearly, if you're going to ask me whose fault it was, it was Vettel's. But it didn't look like he was making, like on, on the, the commentary, he was like, oh, Vettel's made another tentative pass and spun after contact with signs. It's such, so on brand for Vettel to do that. And I'm like, gosh, yeah, that really is. And then, and then I looked up and saw the replay. I'm like, oh, man, he locked up. It looked like he had a decent lockup well before he got to the apex. And that, that, and that he was just simply trying to miss signs rather than actually pass him. And that's yeah. why it looks so ugly. It doesn't mean that he was driving any better. Don't get me wrong. But it just means that he wasn't making a bad pass. Yeah, I mean, my response to that would be, is that really any better? I mean, that's probably worse, isn't it? Like kind of going for an overtake by mistake because you've mucked up earlier in the in the corner. Like It, it just doesn't look particularly good. I just want to point out the chat room uh, uh, saying that I actually began Vettel's decline um, <laughs> when I won that trophy that's behind me there for, um, for beating him at the Race of Champions Skills Challenge. Just <laughs> to put that out, it ruined his confidence and literally from that moment onwards, it's just been downhill. Never been the same. Never been the same since then. I actually don't agree that that was Vettel's fault. Um, yell at me. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to learn. Always happy to learn. I, I see that um, Sainz was having a battle up ahead with uh, another car and that battle didn't go to plan. Signs then ended up effectively behind the car he was battling and Vett- they, they slowed each other down. So Vettel then got to the apex, realizing these cars had slowed down subnormally, unnormally than they would, would normally have done. And that's why he had to slam the tabs on and break. And that's why he spun because Signs cut across right to the apex. Now, I sort of put a bit of a blame on Signs for being involved in that battle not realizing that he had slowed him down and brought Vettel into play. And then he, I, I think he should have left that apex alone and, and driven off. Uh, but he didn't. He dived into the apex and Vettel had nowhere to go. So I'm, I'm a lot less severe. Is, is, there any, is there any way I've got a, even a slight point? I'm not going to die in a ditch over this one. It looked to me like, he, I know what you're saying. It did look like science kind of cut back quite severely, but he was so far ahead. Even if Sainz ran wide, even if he completely missed the apex, which wasn't really the case, you know, he just went in slightly deep and cut back. There was no way Vettel was getting through there. So I certainly don't think he should have ever seen that as an opportunity for an overtake. 
Um, he just wasn't there in time. So it, it was just a mistake. It didn't look like he was trying to overtake, which is what I think Matt was Matt was alluding to there. I, I think he was just on on trying to avoid it. But then he makes contact with Kvyat as well. And uh, I only saw that in real time. I haven't looked back at it. Was that his fault as well? I haven't seen a good enough yeah. view of that to assign blame. But they made contact. Uh, Kvyat was on uh, Vettel's left as they approached turn three, I think it was. And it just looked like Vettel tried to use a bit too much entry, moved a little bit left, and they kind of bounced together. And then the last thing I've got actually on my whose fault is it list is, um, uh, oh, there's two, and both involve Perez. So one is uh, Norris coming up the inside of Perez, where Perez just just turned in as if he wasn't there, Matt. And, you know, I, I'm cheering Perez. I was, you know, cheering Perez uh, all the way to the podium if I could. But um, that was a bizarre lack of racing perception there. Yeah, I, I think he just did not expect Norris to be there at all. I don't think he, I think he just did not, I don't think it was, oh, he's coming. Let me cut him off. Let me, uh, yeah. you know, park the car ahead of him. I think he, I think he looked in the mirrors, thought no way, turned in and thought, what just happened? <laughs> and that's what it sounded like from Norris too. It was like, yeah. what was he thinking? Well, he didn't know you were that fast. I think they <laughs> were lucky. Was. They were lucky that it was just wheel to wheel and I think, you know, if if that is that is worse than what Hamilton did, I think that is more of an error than what Hamilton did, and he there's no penalty. So it looks like the stewards are going to be looking at consequences when they look at the the penalties, Brad. And I, I'm not sure I love that. I'm not sure I love that. But what I want to see is consistency. So when we have another situation like the Hamilton Albon one, I want to see a penalty. When there's no consequences, uh, a wheel to wheel clash even though it's a bit brainless i want consistency i won't get it but that's what i want i don't actually care what the rules are as long as they are applied the same and i think that is something that i would like the fia to look at with their stewarding interesting one in the pits brad um the norris has a shocker of a pit stop that puts him into the clutches of perez they come out at the same time the entire world cries unsafe release how did you see that yeah, that's that is a bit of a strange one, and I'd actually forgotten about it until you mentioned it. Then, why was there no unsafe release um, deemed there? Because the fact that Perez managed to avoid actually having contact, and the fact that he chose to not um, drive into the side of Norris, doesn't change the fact that yeah. he was still released <laughs> yeah. in an, un, an unsafe time. That's the that's how that normally works. So I don't think they normally wait for actual contact. Um, maybe it's because Norris wasn't forced to break or take avoiding action. Maybe because Perez did all of the avoidance himself, they kind of swept that one under the carpet. But as far as I can tell, normally that's penalised. Um, on Five Live, which I will point out, I pay for through the app. Um, I do believe that the commenters mentioned that it was a dual release pit lane, that you were allowed to release cars uh, side by side in this particular pit lane. Uh, I don't was not able to independently verify that, but I did hear it. Nick? And that seemed like brand new information yeah. to me. I mean, can you think off the top of your head other pit lanes that we know for sure are like that? Because it, uh, I was crying unsafe release at the TV as well. So I believe that it has to be nominated beforehand. I don't think it's, I, I don't believe that it's this track is double, this track is single. They nominate it based on whatever the circumstances of the race is. And this presumably then had been nominated as a double pit lane, but then the exit, I guess by the time you get to the exit, it had to be single and Perez backed off when he got to that point. Uh, I didn't like how close the Perez's trajectory put him to pit mechanics and stuff like that, 
But, you know, that is outside of our remit as mere shed podcasters. But I would like to sort of put the focus a little bit now on uh, on Racing Point and and McLaren. So we talked a little bit earlier at the top, Matt, about about their their genuine pace. They are genuinely up there fighting. It looked like Racing Point actually could have got a little bit more out of out of this race. Unlucky for Stroll, obviously, but Perez had a brake issue and they were going to pit him as well. Um, and I, who told me this on the panel? Who brought this to my attention? Can't remember who it was now. Um, it might have been Chris in the uh, WhatsApp chat. Perez had a brake issue. They were going to bring him in and Perez said, give me one more one more lap to try and shake it off. And it, and it did get, sh- get, get shooken off did get shook off. So I'm wondering if there's some kind of sensor issue. They they ended up bringing Stroll in and pitting him, but still it felt like Racing Point left a lot on the table, Matt. Like it feels like you've got Perez there, he can manage a set of tires, get his head straight. Maybe he had a bit of a nosebleed from being that high up the grid, to be honest, but there's definitely more to come from that package. Uh, yeah, you look at it, you think, uh, it's a pink Mercedes, it's last year's Mercedes with this year's engine. They should have beaten McLaren. They would have beaten McLaren. I agree. But they chose, and I think this is critical, and this is going to be where they struggle, I suspect. They chose at the second safety car to leave Perez out and keep track position. And then that put the onus on McLaren behind as to what they wanted to do. And since they were on the hard tires, it was really a no-brainer to bring in Norris, give him a fresh set of boots, and say, okay, now you have 20 lap younger tires than, or 19, I don't yeah. know, I'm sure they'd done a few laps, I'm not sure they were brand new tires. Now you have basically brand new tires compared to Perez, it's only a matter of time. That was the original gamble, we'll put you on the softer tires, you'll get ahead, but at the end of the race, the last 5 or 10 laps, you know that Norris will have the advantage back on the hard tires. Well, this just turned it around and gave Norris the advantage, but with the with the softer tire. Good. Uh, we're sort of into the any other business part of the podcast. Don't worry, we're, we're sticking to an hour. There is nothing that would make me... Wild horses can drag me over the hour mark on this show. Two driver things I want to go to Brad for. First thing is, uh, your comments on Kimi Raikkonen's tire loss. Oh, sorry. I thought you were referring to some comments that I might have made, which I don't remember making. Um, my comments on his tire loss, it was uh, an unsafe release, wasn't it? Is that not what that counts as? Because the wheel oh, yes. wasn't done up properly. Is that what it was? Um, I mean, I imagine so. It looked purely like the wheel just came off you know, with no retaining nut. Um, obviously quite a dangerous thing, potentially. Fortunately, no spectators, because that's the kind of thing where a wheel can go in the crowd um, if yeah. there are spectators there. Um, but initially it looked like he had a big crash, didn't it? And even Mercedes, the official Formula One account on Twitter tweeted, Raikkonen's in the wall um, after the restart. That wasn't what happened. He just parked next to the wall. Um, but I, oh yeah, now I do remember the comments I made. He kept <laughs> his foot down, didn't he? Yeah. But judging by the onboard, it sounded to me, and I know the onboards are quite often out of sync, uh, but it sounded to me like he, he, the wheel was very clearly coming off and he was still upshifting with his foot flat to the floor. <laughs> That's really funny. It's like, you know, just like, yeah, maybe, maybe it'll come back. It might be still okay. It still might be okay. I might be fine. Uh, but some of you eagle-eyed people who follow me on Twitter, at Spanners Ready, might have noticed that I'd spent most of the afternoon simply copying and pasting things that Brad had sent me in WhatsApp and passing them off as my own tweets until he angrily noticed. Matt? 
Uh, yeah, the chat room had said, and I can confirm via the FIA site, that uh, it was a release of a car in an unsafe condition. They were fined for it. Oosh. So that's definitively on them for not doing the job correctly. Ouch. And then the other driver I wanted to talk about is um, Nicholas Latifi, because we've had his first look at him. And in, in general, based on the pay driver status, my expectations were low. There was an awful lot of people, though, saying, oh, no, 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 you watch out. He's actually, well, you might be surprised. As of yet, I am n- not surprised, Bradley. I thought he did reasonably well. I, I thought he was he was basically exactly where I thought he'd be. He was never going to be terrible, you know, really terrible. He was a decent Formula 2 driver. And, you know, and it's just his first race in Formula 1. So yeah. I thought he was respectable. He kept the car on the track. He was in a position to potentially score points if the attrition had been even worse towards the end. I'm sure the safety cars flattered his his ultimate gap to the rest of the field. But... Um, Latifi and Williams in general, obviously, particularly Russell, um, were, were pretty decent this weekend. I, I, I actually expect him never to be the best in the world, but I think he's going to progress and look solid. As Matthew in the chat says, he met my low expectations. Nick? I don't want to be uncharitable. And I had just gone on about how we're so nice and we cheer for <laughs> all the drivers. Well, I was actually cheering against this driver. I was okay. actually, uh, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts about it wouldn't want him to get a point in this instance before George Russell, who had to retire through no fault of his own. That seemed like uh, that would not have been right to me. If uh, if Latifi had got a point today, I was going to double down and say, like, I was just going to go on social media and say, that proves it. That proves that Russell's no good, beaten twice in a row by his teammates. Yes, the racing gods would not have been smiling on George Russell there. Um, something which might not be in our any other business notes, but I just thought we should touch upon... Ocon, um, who ultimately oh, yes. beat Ricardo due to Ricardo's um, yeah. ill fortune. But um, what does everyone think of, of Ocon's kind of re-debut? I appreciate he's not a rookie, but he's been away for a little while. Um, and I heard comments that he was surprised at Ricardo's pace in qualifying. Uh, I mean, Ricardo's like a super good racing car driver. But Matt, you're our resident Ocon fan. We we needed to keep our expectations low. He's been out of this for like a year and a half. Um, yeah, he's not up against a mug, is he? This isn't a bum that's going to get tired and, and fall down. This is Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, yeah, I think his surprise really was the gap in qualifying. In free practice, if in free practice three, if memory serves me, they both turned similar laps. I would expect Ricciardo to have about a three to five tenths advantage, given the fact Ocon's been out of the sport for a year. And and Ricardo knows the car well. It's his team now. Um, but it was bigger than that in qualifying. That said, in the race, he actually had quite good race pace. His race pace, uh, his race pace runs on Friday were slightly better than Ricardo's. Um, but it seems to me the Renault has a fundamental weakness at the track in that they have a hard time closing the gap uh, in the turn. They, they lose time to other cars in the turn on to the start-finish straight. They get close in the middle twisty sector, but they're not able to keep up in the high-speed corner going on to the front straight. And so that makes getting by with DRS difficult for them. And he did struggle to get by some of the other cars. He made one overtake, and then the other one, he was fortunate that Fiat pitted out from in front of him. Still, P8 points on his debut, so... And he brought the car home and didn't overheat it like certain other Australian drivers. 
Oh, not the end of the world for God. him, but not exactly where Reno wanted to wind up, I think. We're not blaming Ricardo, are well, we, Nick? Well, certainly uh, overheating the car is something that the driver could have some influence on, right? And I just want to take... Uh, I, I Matt said it was Daniel's team, and I just don't know. Yeah. I would think that that's no. really true. I would think it would be the Frenchman's team at this point. I have to. I think Ricardo's kind of relinquished that, hasn't he, Matt? Well, in the sense that the entire car that they made this year was made with the idea that Ricardo would be their number one driver. I think it's uh, very much okay. his team. He knows all of the people in it. Ocon is a brand new person. He's all still right. building relationships. All right, all right. You know, I don't like it when you make good points. That is a good point. Yes. Yeah, so in many ways, it was set up to be Ricardo's team. All right, that hurts just a little bit. But Renault have been disappointing. So let's, um, I don't know, let's hope it's track specific because at the moment they are looking like, hang on, I need to do maths, Nick. Which number best team are they at the moment? What, like sixth, seventh? Sixth, I guess. Sixth, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're After behind Ferrari. Yeah, the big three, Racing Point and McLaren. Then comes Renault. That's a work team. That's a works team's trumpet. It's not good. I think we lack enough data. Uh, consider too that Ricardo encountered yellow flags and actually obeyed them. Oh, come on! On his man. only <laughs> qualifying run, are you trying to trigger and me? He, he was. He, no, I'm. I'm not. It, it's okay. true. He did. He he was behind Hamilton, and he caught two turns worth of yellow flags. He only had one run in Q3, and his Q3 run was actually slower than his last Q2 run. So his his starting place was definitely not his fault. It was a fault of uh, Botas for going off and causing yellow flags. And it happens. I mean, fault in the in the ontological sense, I suppose. Epistemological? I don't know. Somebody tell me the right word to use there. It's even beyond... An- anthropomatic. Um, That's the word. And, and then he, he was actually having a decent race, his car overheated, maybe because he was in a lot of traffic, maybe because Renault got the cooling slightly wrong on it. Mm, he yeah, was following you know. Vettel, wasn't he? He was stuck well in that Stroll-Vettel chain. So it yeah. might be that. Mm. Okay, yeah. well, let, let's have a little think about where we are in that championship status. And, and actually, we have to do our awards, which I've completely forgotten as well. So just to remind everyone, this is the awards we do. We do our thing of the weekend, brackets, good thing. That is how it is in our notes. That's how it's written in our notes and has been for the last five years. Thing of the weekend, good thing. We never thought of a better name. The Missed Apex Award, the Pony Award for petulant or uh, toddler-like behavior. And then we, of course, have the Chatroom Award of Comment of the Week. So let's have a look at the, the kind of team pecking order. I think, is it, is, it, is it as straightforward at the moment as saying we're looking at Mercedes, Red Bull, and I think here's where it starts to get a little controversial. Racing point by a smidge, McLaren, Ferrari, Renault. That, that's where I'm putting it at the minute. Matt's shaking his head. Your first objection, then Brad, you can come into. I think, I think right now you, you kind of got to hand it to McLaren. They're second in the championship. Ooh, okay. I mean, I, I, I think you're maybe talking about like... Performance. Uh, perceived quickness. Yes, I am. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then, then, then maybe, maybe I would give you, maybe I would give you the racing point having the edge over McLaren. But in actual performance, I, I think it's the other way around. I think McLaren has the advantage. I think they have the, they have a little more experience, maybe a little better team at the moment on, on the, on the ground, just looking at the way this race played out. Cause Signs had an excellent finish too, P5. 
P3, yes, P5 for course, McLaren. Yeah. Jeez. You know, they're not, and they arguably maybe have the slightly better driver pairing too. Right. Yeah, I was going to just concur with Matt. Essentially, I think the drivers are what are going to separate those two teams. Um, yeah. Not wanting to discount Perez entirely. Better not. Probably discounting Stroll entirely in the grand scheme of things, although he wasn't terrible this weekend at all. He was he was absolutely decent. Um, not quite as good as Perez, though. I think the driving driver pairing and McLaren yeah. are going to be what really separates them and the ability to develop that car. I think if Racing Point have essentially just taken the concept of another team, they're not going to understand it as well. It might not have as much potential for further development and they might not have the potential to do that development. So I think McLaren will drive forward through the season and maybe kick ahead, particularly with that driver pair. I I think Red Bull are going to be the only team who are taking it to Mercedes. So that gap might look worse if uh, if the lap was longer. So they were 0.5 behind but Austria is a, a much shorter lap. It's a, what was the qualifying time? It was just in the 103s, wasn't it, Nick? So if we you extrapolate that, that out. Uh, oh, like a 102.8 yeah. high? Oh, okay. Extrapolate that out to a longer track, and that gap suddenly looks a lot bigger, but not all tracks are as out-and-out power dependent. So I don't know, but I, I think it is Red Bull that's going to make this interesting to at least be in the pit window. Well, it's um, it's Red Bull if anyone, I guess, yeah. is what how I would put that. Hopefully Red Bull. But they had a shocker today, uh, not quite of their own doing. Did we cover what happened to Verstappen at any point? We did not. We didn't. What happened to Verstappen? It sort of went clunk, 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 and uh, nothing was happening. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm entirely clear. It seemed like some sort of electrical or software problem that was kicking in the anti-stall because they told him to change some sort of setting and he couldn't get out of it. I'm not I'm not entirely clear. Yeah, well, Nick just said that. I think is essentially it. Uh, People were talking. I didn't see it myself, but I, I heard that he changed the setting on the steering wheel and then immediately had problems. I think he actually complained that, uh, you know, you guys told me to change something and, and now this has happened. And they look like they changed steering wheel in the pit lane or they certainly took yeah. the steering wheel off and put it back on. Um, and then they thought they got it working and it immediately went back into anti-stall. So I'm sure we'll hear what it actually was, but as yet, I'm not sure 100%. Well, that's been our first race review of 2020, Matt. I think we've largely survived. Uh, we have. Worth pointing out that the Albon retirement late does entitle Red Bull to mount a new gearbox for him next weekend. Exciting. Just going to say that. Yeah, I'm glad Anyone who there. retires gets a new gearbox automatically. Um, and we haven't really, aside from mentioning Magnussen, briefly oh. is the cause of a safety car talked about Haas at all this may be because they're not even on the official world constructor championship list wait There's a minute only nine teams They've was, been was off. oh no that is insult to injury but i think i said a couple of weeks ago matt i i had such low expectations of Haas that i was expecting them to be only ahead of of williams i i just don't see that organization going forward and we're not seeing any hints of that in fact we've got two of you uh north americans here uh nick i was just gonna say apparently you have to install brakes on the car to make the constructors <laughs> list some sort of criteria yeah I, th I think that might be it uh that said when his brakes exploded magnuson was in 13th place they actually w looked like they weren't suffering the same massive loss in yeah. the race compared to qualifying. 
they were sort of running about where you would expect them to based on their qualifying. Wait time. a minute, Matt. And sorry, it, Matt. I've got to stop you there. Yeah. That is the least like crazy thing that anyone's ever said. Like talk about damning with frank praise. You just said they weren't as bad as a disaster. Oh, oh, bring it. Let's talk about Williams for a second. How many years did it take them to not go backwards every year? Yeah, but I I've, mean, I mean, I've if, not been positive. Comp- solved their problem in a single season. Yeah. I'm going to hand it to them. Okay, they have done so. That's not the bar, Matt. That is not the bar that we set. Guys, our first race review of 2020. I've been looking forward to it so much because I've been looking forward to having the size of chat room that we have for race reviews and looking at it. It's about the same as where we were at the peak of last season in this live chat, which means that we weren't overly damaged by this extended off-season. And I'm hoping that a lot of you are going to come back to us and be listening to us for the first time again since the season ended, or certainly since the morale-sapping cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix. It's been an emotional roller coaster here in the podcasting shed. Me and Matt have done our best to to keep things going and keep the wolf from the door. We have mainly survived due to our kind patrons. I want to say a very special thank you to all of you guys, not just for your contributions financially at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex, but also for the company you give us in our Slack chat group. There is never a dull moment, Matt, and that Slack group is my favorite forum to take a break from doom scrolling on Twitter. Of course, normally, normally, I want to sit on Twitter and Facebook and make myself increasingly mad as I deliberately and pathologically seek out things that I know are going to upset me. But when I'm taking a break from that, I jump in the Slack group and our patrons are there over about 50 channels uh, in the best forum in the world. It is the best forum. And in fact, when I set out to do my pre-show run around one o'clock Eastern. Went for a run. Yeah. There were 50. 1,500 comments in the (laughs) Formula One channel. So if you're looking for a place, if you are by yourself and just need some friends to talk Formula One with, I could not recommend a nicer community to jump into than our Slack community. A a lot of listeners have got in touch over the last six or seven years, spannersready at gmail.com. I get lovely emails. I really do, much more than the rubbish ones. But the thing I hear time and time again is, I don't really have anyone to speak to about F1. You guys are like my F1 Formula One mates to listen to and, and talk to. It's the same for us. I, I don't have anyone in real life to sit and talk Formula One to. And in fact, I get the opposite thing where they go, hey, you're into F1. So what do you think about such and such? You know, and they're just, you know, it's just small talk. And I, I have to like dumb it down to muggle level. So I'm glad I have all of you guys on the panel, all of you guys in the live chat and all of you guys in the Patreon Slack group to chat some Formula One with. Have loved your support. Thank you so much for that. Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. Or if you think you would just like to buy me a Matt a pint because you just think we're swell kind of guys, then go to MrApexPodcast.com forward slash tip jar. But now... It's coming through loud and distorted. I don't know why. It must be COVID's fault. It's all down to that coronavirus. And it stopped. Yeah, that bumper didn't work at all. I just tried to connect my phone to my desk via Bluetooth. But not everything can go smoothly, Matt. But we're onto the podium of our first race review. And it's awards time. So I think we should give those awards out. Firstly, our first award is Thing of the Weekend Brackets Good Thing. 
So who should we go to first? Chat room, get your answers in. Philpot, Mr. Philpot, sir, you are at Bradley Philpot on Twitter. You have a good YouTube channel where you stream your iRacing experiences as well. So search for BradDude2K on Twitter. No, you've changed it. You have changed it. No, I mean, that, that is it. And YouTube won't let me change it. But if you just type in my name, that's the less embarrassing way to find me. Brad rather than um, searching for a handle that I made when I was about 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just search Brad Philpott on YouTube to find Brad Philpott on YouTube. video series of Nürburgring racing and learn how to drive the Nürburgring or look, watch me race sim cars. Um, yeah, that was good. Um, I like your stream because yes. your stream, you've got like a four million camera set up there. So one minute we're looking at your face, the other minute, you know, then we're looking at the cockpit of the car. Then we're looking at your room from behind you. You've got a great setup there and uh, it's a really good kind of live stream. Matt, you've watched uh, Brad's stream. Yeah. And then we're watching his cat throw up. It's just beautiful. <laughs> okay. We said we would never talk about the people who weren't here in the off season don't know about Brad's cat. It's rude to talk about it unless we explain it. We'll emphasize for everyone who saw that Catherine is his cat, not his fiance. That is not how he speaks to his fiance. But Brad, Brad Dude2K. Is that your Instagram handle as well? No, it's everything else is Bradley <laughs> Philpot. It was only, okay. it's only YouTube, <laughs> okay. which wasn't I didn't even know it was going to be a thing when I yeah. signed up to YouTube yeah. literally years and years ago. Okay, so who is your thing of the weekend? So I'm gonna say alternative teams being in the hunt yeah, for man. good results. So yeah. Lando Norris finishing on the podium as the main one. Really lovely to see that. Um, I really enjoyed watching Lando's streams in the off season. And, uh, and I think as someone mentioned earlier, I think he's a, a really nice guy. So good on you, Lando. Um, the best prepared driver ever to enter Formula One. Nick numbers, Alexander, you are at Nick Alexander F1. Now that can't be right. That's really long. There's no way that's a Twitter handle. It doesn't matter what the Twitter handle is going to be. You're going to poke fun of poke fun of it or criticize it in some way. That's my actual Twitter handle. There's no underscores. I didn't make it when I was 15. It should definitely pass your muster. It's been the same for years. It's just really, really long. So it's um, Nicholas uh, Carthapian Alexander Jr. the third on Twitter. That's where you can follow Nick. Nick, who is your... Oh, hang on. You've got that book podcast. Is that still going? It is. I have to do some editing. I have some some shows that we recorded that I that I got to get out still. Um, but we had video producer of Miss Apex, Steve Amy, on to talk about a movie. We didn't even read the book recently. We we watched uh, the Yakuza, which was a neo noir film from the seventies, and had a good chat about that with um, an author who was a student under a professor who wrote the screenplay. So that was that was a lot of fun. Wow. So we're, we're branching out a little bit and doing some more fun. Okay. More, I, more things. I, blocked, I blanked out. Were you talking about books for a really long time or a really, really short amount of time? No, I was talking about a movie. Oh, wow. Okay, you even made a movie boring. Jeez, let's move on. So what was your thing of the weekend? He does this because he, he actually loves me. Um, I really liked the... The people that were way up on the hill with the binoculars watching qualifying all by themselves from like a mile away. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was really cool and memorable. Um, and you know, would only happen in, in 2020 and kind of just puts this race into a certain time and place. Yeah. And also I doubt they got the same audio experience. So they didn't have like one of those guns from spy movies, did they pointing at the track? It was just a visual they- experience for them. 
they didn't. But I mean, those are real things that they use to get field noises from like, you know, American football games. I don't really? know what the cost is if it's prohibitive. Oh, yeah. It's too bad we don't have Steve Amy on. I'm sure he could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. But no, those are those are real. Steve Amy, our video producer, who uh, is responsible for all the beauty here in the shed, will be on in two weeks between uh, between Austria 2. I think that's what we're calling it. No, we're calling it The Hills Are Alive With The Sounds Of F1. And then we're going to the Hungarian Grand Prix. Steve will be on in between those two. So a good thing of the weekend there. Matt, what's your thing of the weekend at MattPT55? Your wife. Let's all follow and stalk your wife. Because that's not weird at all. At A Weaver Wright. Stalk her. Buy her stuff. She writes uh, romantic novels where all the main characters are suspiciously trumpet-esque. Oh, Mr. Darcy, I have been surprised by your recent attentions. It is my tired talk, my love, that is making you seduced so easily. That is a spoiler for the plot of her latest book. But at A Weaver Writes, good books, buy them. Yes, please do, because <clears throat> as you know, we are in the arts and still waiting for our jobs to come back. We don't need artists or radio presenters or musicians or singers anymore. That's fine. We'll get by with pub owners and uh, billionaire hedge fund disaster management people. The world can survive on just those. We don't need people entertaining us. I think that's the sort of plan that leads to Kimi Raikkonen having just three wheels on his car. But I digress. You've asked me a question, thing of the weekend, and I'm genuinely struggling. Because I fully expected Nick to pick Ferrari finishing second <laughs> with Leclerc's excellent drive, which was really, really excellent. But I think I might have to go with Albon. His 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 drive today was uh, admittedly not as fast as Verstappen, but I, I think I think he's got a little something special, and I'm looking forward to him finally not colliding with Hamilton and us finding out what's really there. So I am tempted to giving it to the F1 community for not being overly, overly rubbish about the start of the Grand Prix, where the drivers were given an opportunity to so to show solidarity to the Black Lives Matter movement, respect to each and every driver that marked that moment in their own way. And I would like people to remember that you are free to express yourself in any way you see fit. And I would also like to personally say that I am glad of the support that F1 has given. And Mercedes in particular, uh, led by Lewis Hamilton, uh, driving towards diversity and having learned more about the FIA push uh, towards diversity. I believe that it is not just words. I, I believe that it is not hollow. And I believe that they are actually pushing for real change. They committed a million euros to their foundation. Is that all? Yesterday. Skin flints. The right, F I take F it all back. Yeah. Just a million. They could afford like 20 billion million. I don't really understand money. But in reality, I'm, I'm going to give it to Lando Norris because I'm sure underneath that face mask was a huge, huge grin. And I think part of when we look to the soap opera of Formula One, the thing that I'm really looking at is, are these drivers enjoying this opportunity on behalf of all of us? Like they are us they are our eponymous heroes. And you've just got a feeling that Lando Norris is in his hotel room right now, eating a Twix, having gone sensibly to bed at 10 o'clock going, <laughs> I just got a podium. This is brilliant. Yay. And I, I like that. I like that. Now, look, we've been too positive here. We have to do 
the the bad thing award and i've i've just realized that no it's uh, it's not on my sound desk it's going to be on this this other sound desk that made the bad noise with the podium so uh, this isn't going to sound good but here we go oh god i'm bracing oh no you missed the apex no that went all right that was good so how come the podium didn't work yeah, that's bad. All right, never mind. Bad thing award. Here's where you get to be negative. We've been good and positive and fluffy. Now, let's unleash our dark sides. Brad Philpott, who missed the apex for you? We've got quite a lot to choose from, haven't we? Um, I don't just want to beat up on Vettel. So let's go for, let's go for Hamilton for effectively, you know, l- finishing in a lower position than he would have done had he made different decisions. So I don't think he did a, I don't think he, made a completely horrendous mistake. But I think on this occasion, looking at it in the cold light of day, Hamilton would have been probably second place um, with Albon's failure, ultimately, if he hadn't fought him. It's a bad weekend for Hamilton. There's there's absolutely no getting away from that. But, you know, his bad weekend uh, still resulted in him f- finishing second on track and net fifth. He's going to come back from that. Like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And all his mistakes uh, and errors, uh, oh, he finished a net fourth, did he? But all, all his errors were kind of compound errors. So uh, messing up in qualifying, not getting his first banker lap in, made him more desperate on his second serve, which meant that he kept his foot in, which meant that he ended up getting a good penalty, going down to fifth place, which meant he couldn't kept, get past Albon quickly, which bottlenecked him, which meant he then ended up getting in, uh, you know, having to catch up to uh, to Bottas, which meant he couldn't get the job on Bottas done early, which meant he was second on hard tyres, being the rear gunner for Mercedes when he would have preferred to have been up front, which meant that he then got tangled with Albon and, and, and got that penalty. So it was a lot of compound errors for Lewis Hamilton and not every race weekend is going to be flipping a tail every time. Every situation Hamilton was in this weekend, he flipped a tail, if tails are bad. He flipped a tail every time, and that's how it went down. Not every weekend is going to be like that. Nick, time for you to rain down some negativity on this F1 fun parade. Who missed the apex for you? Right, I don't want to rain down too hard. We've talked about, you know, they're all people. They're all trying their best and, and all this. But um, I think that uh, Vettel and Horner and Dr. Marco getting their picture taken, not wearing masks <laughs> yeah. indoors, yeah. Uh, was uh, an incredibly bad look. Um, and not not the safest thing, obviously, but also just not in keeping with what the FIA is trying to to uh, message. I, I just it was very poor judgment, very bad look. I thought that's oh, my choice. If it, if it turned out that Helmut Marco didn't care about COVID, now let's not forget that this is the guy that proposed putting the Red Bull drivers in a COVID camp so that they could get it and then be immune to it. I would not be surprised if it turned out that he's not taking the safety precautions 100% seriously. I hope everyone does. And uh, I know that the media point to all the really kind of bad stuff, like the Brighton beaches and uh, people gathering together for a number of other causes, and they point to that stuff. But I, I think there's a core of people out there trying to do the COVID thing well. Uh, can I be a tiny bit preachy again? Would you forgive me? I was the only person wearing a mask on my errands yesterday. Just wear a mask. It's fine. It's it's good in a way. You don't have to show people your expressions. It's uncomfortable the first time as you get used to it. It becomes normal, like really, really easily. And look, it's just, just do it now. Let's do it now for a little bit. 
so that we don't have to do it for forever. Just wear a mask. It's it makes perfect sense. Matt Trumpets, who missed the apex for you? Well, before I get there, I have to give a quick shout to the chat out. Stephen Armstrong, Kimmy's tire missed the apex. Yeah, literally it's true. true. Yeah. It did not even come close. Nope. Um, and and Stuart Neal points out engine reliability also missed the apex, but I don't see that as being a bad thing necessarily. It does tend to make things a bit more exciting. Ah, this is a tough choice. You've left me such a wide field, people. Um, I was tempted to say Haas compounded their error and caught all the worst breaks. Yeah, that was my choice. You've worst stolen breaks. it. Oh, worst oh, breaks. Oh, come on. Worst breaks. But I'm going to leave that to you. And I'm going to go with F1 TV. Oh, because no. Because when I sat down Friday morning with my iPad and all I wanted to do was watch the end of the, uh, was watch the free practice, it did not work. And it turns out I was not the only one that had this problem. And for a product with so much promise, it is just never quite always able to deliver, especially at the start of the season. It's so frustrating. Yeah. So frustrating because it should be the best thing in the world. And every time you cut it on, there's like some other, you got to uninstall it. There's this problem, there's this problem. And a lot of people were very, very unhappy. I wish they would sort it out once and for all and get it fixed. And so for me, F1 TV missed the apex this weekend. Fair enough. Fair enough, bud. Uh, yes, I, I, I am going to give my missed apex to Haas, who look like they've come out of the blocks, uh, meaning uh, going uh, out as they mean to go on. I see no hope. <laughs> I don't see any hope. Uh, I Show me I'm wrong because that is a good team with two drivers. I like a, a team principle that everybody likes. Uh, so I hope they can, they can get that together. And they have a model which I, I want to work. They have an F1 model that I want to work. If hearts can work and Racing Point can work, then that means we have a future in F1 and other teams can come in. We've got one more award. No, we've got two more awards. So we've got the Pony Award. We might have to update that. She was three. And when she was three, when she recorded that, she was horrible, Matt. She was the worst three-year-old in the world. I genuinely didn't love her until she started going to school. But do do we have a pony? Uh, uh, anyone? Does anyone have a pony award? Brad Philpott. It can only really be Red Bull, can't it? Or specifically Christian Horner. Um, you know, the pro- I didn't necessarily disagree with the protest, if I'm honest, um, at least certainly for clarification on DAS, um, which ultimately um, was proven to be completely legal. It was really interesting reading reasoning. But, um, and then protesting Hamilton's qualifying lap. Is, again, again, I think it's probably justified. I can't believe the stewards didn't have the onboard video immediately to just know for sure whether they could see a yellow flag. But, but yeah, ultimately, um, they... That can kind of be classed as being a pony, a, you know, a bit of a pony. Matt? Well, I, th- I think it would be okay to point out Verstappen for his not exactly whiny, but definitely pony-like rant about his inability to get the power unit yeah. going once they told him to flip the switch on the, on the dash. But you can understand that. You can understand that being in second place and the frustration clearly did show oh, yeah. as well as he like stormed out of the back of the garage. I'm completely fine with that. But yeah, it is ponyish. That definitely... That definitely does qualify. And we've got one last award, which is... Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week is an award that we give out every single race review before the end credits without fail, uh, where we give an award to the best comment from our live chat room. And blimey! Oh, uh, looking at the uh, clock. (laughs) 
Oh dear, we seem to have gone rather close to our one hour time limit, Matt. So just a cut. I hope none of you are in trouble with your spouses, by the way. Just just three or four. Oh dear, oh dear, Nick. Sorry, uh, three or four nominees for comment of the week. And and we're going with the uh, we're going with metric three and four. So I've got about fifteen here. Uh, but I, as always, need to start with no carrier. Yes, I know you can't see me, and I look handsome, Tom. I know. I thank you for saying I look super beautiful, Trevor. Thank you for telling me I look good, and Alex Aguero Leon. Please, Nick Alexander is giving me some serious Christian Bale vibes. Also falls <laughs> under that umbrella. Wait a minute, you seem to have uh, forgotten to read out the compliments for for me and Brad and my new haircut in particular. Um, I thought I said the word manscaped, so I figured I would skip it. But, all right, all right, it's the same. But, but if I missed a good one. Feel free to uh, feel no, free to fill in right now. Give me the actual candidates for comment of the week. This frustration is not an act. Just say the things. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, but I do want to shout out to um, uh, Sean Lord and Nathan Skinner, who gave us some money in the oh, super Oh, yeah. No, we love and money. previously mentioned. Yep, that's good. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, Stuart Neal, are we taking bets on how long an hour will be in Mapland? No. No, Stuart Neal. No, we are not. Um... We're going to go to Patrick Walsh, Zoomiest Car of the Week feature, Kemi going Zoomy, Wilt's doing an impression of a Reliant Robin, which is where I stole that from earlier. Thank you. Zoomiest Car of the Week. Smart. Okay, that's winning so far. Um, Christopher Fonseca, Nick didn't stop supporting Ferrari. They decided to not renew his contract. Oh, no, we didn't know. We've been so insensitive this whole time. Apache, uh, Botas had some Botassium before the race. Okay, that yeah, I'm I'm down with that. Um, and we're going to go with Michael Brown. Have Racing Point employed Kimmy's old Ferrari strategist? No, but we get your, we get your point. It's a strong field. Uh, and finally, we're going to finish up with iHammer. Can we, as a chat room, just take a minute to appreciate that Spanners has now remembered comment of the week at least five shows in a row? Is that right? Is that my record at the moment? Yeah. I mean, I I think we've had 300 shows, so I think it's more like 300 in a row. But I'm not going to split hairs. Matt, I'm going to vote for, if my vote counts for anything, the potassium one. Well, seeing as we have Nick Alexander, Mr. Pun, on the show, I think we'll have to agree that Apache's comment, Botas, had some potassium before the race, is this week's comment of the week. Peak Botas. Comment of the week. Whenever I'm on the show, feel free in the com- in the chat to leave uh, puns as much as you like. In fact, go bananas. And when Nick is not on the show, puns are banned from winning comment of the week. Thank you to the live chat for joining us. Thank you to my esteemed panel, racy car driver, Brad Philpot, Nick Alexander, who counts things for a living. One, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, two, profit, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, and Matt Trumpets, who has a nondescript career in some kind of trumpet. If you want to find out more about Matt's career, listen to the Remain Indoors podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Search for Remain Indoors on your podcatcher of choice. Follow him at MattPT55, his wife who sells books at A Weaver Writes. You can support the show, patreon.com forward slash Apex. And I swear we'll try to make it worth your while. We're into the season proper. So follow us on social media as well at Missed Apex F1. We've got a Facebook group as well. So search for Missed Apex podcast there. We're on Instagram. I'm at Spanners Ready. 
too. I'm on Instagram. You can see pictures of my face and silly stuff I do. And you can follow me on Facebook by looking for Richard Reddy. The next show is a sim racing special. So if you're not interested in sim racing, feel free to skip that one. But we had a great chat uh, with Mike Channel, uh, who is a very prominent sim racer who featured in a lot of the off-season sim racing stuff. It's a good chat, if anything. If not, we will see you for Austria 2, uh, the Austria 2 Grand Prix race review here Sunday, UK time. We're on BST, UTC plus one. But wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Ah, we did it, Matt. We didn't mess up the first race review. We stuck to all the timings. We got all the segments in. We didn't disagree before the show about how we should approach it. None of the panelists fell out with each other. It's just been wall-to-wall glory. Nothing went wrong. That was better than a McLaren pit stop. That was better than... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.